Our scripture reading for this morning is going to be out of Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. You can find that on page 1017 on the Black Pew Bible. There should be one in the pew back in front of you. Again, that's Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of, the, of my Lord shall come to me? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Luke chapter 1. Jake read our teaching text this morning. There's a lot going on these days. Christmas, work parties, and school. Getting ready to get out for Christmas vacation and all the things going on here at church. But we are excited. A lot of fun things taking place. Hope you can participate in those. John Piper, he talks a lot in his writings and as he preaches about magnification and how that's done. It's done, he says, in two ways. One is using a microscope. Another way is using a telescope. With a microscope, you magnify something that is very small, maybe something you can't see with the naked eye, but you look through a microscope to make something appear greater than it is. Take a dust mite, for instance. We've got a video for you. This is under a microscope. Now, in our house, we kind of have a, uh, a routine. When you get married, you know, you kind of have, you come up with some ways of doing life together. And so one of the things that Jenny and I decided on is whoever's last to get up, in the morning has to make the bed. Now that's the reason that video, show that video again there. People, you need to see that a little more, I think. You come to church, you learn all kind of information. Uh, I often say ignorance is not a virtue. Leave that up there just for a second. That's a full-grown dust mite, and you see the little baby dust mites around there, and then some of that is, is human uh, pieces of skin, and then some of that is uh, dust mite dung. And so think about it. Some of you have a really uh, difficulty with dust. Um, maybe grandma's old uh, afghan you put around your 
And then before you know it, your eyes are itching and, and you're sneezing. Well, what you're allergic to, not so much as the dust, but it's the dust mite dung that gets in your eyes and your nose. And it causes you to have all that redness and itchiness and all of that. So, if I were you, uh, I would get up in the morning and I'd make your bed and you try to flatten out those sheets because what the dust mites do is they really thrive in the creases, in the folds of your sheets and your blankets. So you need to make sure you wash your sheets and blankets pretty regularly, but you make your bed up. So some of y'all, you get home today from church, you're going to go in there and you're going to make your bed up. That's why you make your bed up in the morning. So that's why Jenny came up with that rule at our house. We've got to make sure last one up, which is usually her, has to make the bed uh, to make sure we keep the dust mite population to a minimum. Um, but what's going on here is this taking something that is really small and you're making it look larger than it actually is. Well, Mary writes a song. We read that today, the Magnificat. She's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But that first line in her song says, My soul magnifies the Lord. But this microscopic magnification is not what is happening here in this song. Mary's not taking an object that is small and making it look larger than it actually is. What she's doing is she's looking at something that's great, that's large, but it seems small or insignificant. And you're making it look like it actually is. That's the purpose of a telescope. For instance, you see planets, they look like little specks in the sky. But through a telescope, you see them up close, they appear great like they actually are. And so Mary is wanting to magnify the Lord telescopically. That is to make the big, mighty God look as big as he actually is. Now, so far in, in this study, looking at Luke chapter 1, it's the advent through the eyes of Luke, the nativity through the eyes of Luke. We've seen some pretty remarkable people so far. Gabriel delivered a message to both Zechariah and Mary, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are described as being righteous people. Even though Zechariah was muted, right, until the birth of John the Baptist for his lack of faith, but they're righteous people. And Last week we saw Mary. She's told she'll have a child even though she was a virgin, and she pondered how that would occur. And as she pondered how that was to be accomplished, there's this dynamic certainty there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, teaches us about faith. There is a future assurance in Mary. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And there's also a, a visual confidence is certain of what we do not see. Great folks, righteous people, people of great faith. But the focus here in Luke chapter 1 is not necessarily on these folks, but it's on hope, hope of the Messiah. Elizabeth was elated that she would finally have a son. Her approach would give way to esteem. She would give birth, but what's most important is not that she would give birth, 
Not that she would give birth to a son, but she would give birth to a prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. Also, Mary, her reaction and faithfulness is, is recognized and it's applauded, but the focal point is on the one she was carrying, the baby who would be called Jesus. Verses 39 through 56, we see the main point here this morning being upon Mary visiting Elizabeth, John, Elizabeth, and Mary all proclaim God's goodness in sending his son. And we see that firstly in John the Baptist. Hope was proclaimed by John the Baptist with his first prophecy in utero. Think about this. Mary leaves her home, picking up from last week. The, Gab the angel Gabriel had told her that she was going to have a child. And the sign that, she would, that this would be accomplished was that her cousin, her older cousin Elizabeth, was, who was barren, was six months pregnant. So the, the scriptures tell us that Mary leaves in haste and she travels. You've got Galilee, and in between Galilee, you've got the area of the country called Samaria, and then below Samaria is Judea. She leaves in haste. And when she arrives, she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And it, scriptures tell us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 41, why did Elizabeth's baby react this way? Why did John leap in her womb? Well, it was because he was a prophet, and this is his first prophecy. John the Baptist's ministry was beginning three months before his birth. He's announcing the arrival of the King of Kings. And he's doing that in a way that the only way a fetus six months in development could. He leapt. Think about fetus six months in development, a, a, a mom is six months pregnant. John would be about 12 inches long and about two pounds at this, at this point. His skin is translucent still, but yet he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the baby Jesus, just days into development as a, probably a zygote at this moment, comes into the room, John, still in utero, recognizes his presence. How cool is that? John the Baptist, being filled with the Holy Spirit, acknowledges the Messiah's presence. And this is just a preview of what John's ministry would look like. One, one day, John the Baptist is going to see Jesus coming towards him. And he's going to point to him. What's he going to say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's also going to say of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, I'll baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John was baptizing him water baptism, right? Just like we would baptize here. But he said, one's coming far greater than I. I can't even stoop down, and I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. John here is getting started early doing his ministry. Through John, hope is proclaimed. 
We see also that hope was proclaimed by Elizabeth as she delights in the presence of the Savior. In verse 43, we've already said she was a righteous person. She loved the Lord. But notice her response. Why is this granted to me, she says. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here's this humble amazement at being able to participate directly in what God is doing. All who have a role in God's plan should share this wonder. Yeah, we have a, we have a, we have a place in God's work. We're able to see Him change lives and build up the church. Her response is kind of like John the Baptist. You remember when Jesus came to John? John's baptizing and everybody thought he was all the rage. <coughs> Multitudes were coming to him. He was baptizing people left and right. And Jesus comes and says that he wants to be baptized by John. And what did John do? He's real humble. He's like, you come to me? I, I should be baptized by you. Of course, Jesus encouraged him. And in order to fill all righteousness, this needs to take place. And so John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, but he's humble, and we see this humility in Elizabeth. But notice more importantly her proclamation. She rejoiced that Mary would come, but notice she recognizes the reason for this prophetic leap in her, in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she recognizes Mary was carrying my Lord. My Lord can mean nothing else except that this baby in Mary's womb was a long-awaited Messiah. Hope had entered the room. Elizabeth had this prophetic spirit, Caesar, and she was able to proclaim that hope had arrived. And Elizabeth goes on to say wonderful things about Mary, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed is she, look at verse 45, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary was a woman of, of great faith, but she was a recipient of grace, not a source of it. I mean, Mary's blessed. Elizabeth recognizes that because she's able to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And there's a lot of misinformation about Mary as a result of this text. Catholics often say that Mary was sinless and she was a perpetual virgin, both of which is refuted in Scripture. Mary was born a sinner like you and I. She went on to have children after Jesus was born. But she did have great faith, and she's the mother of the Lord Jesus. In fact, as we see in her song, the Magnificat, we'll see in just a moment, Mary doesn't declare that, that she was a doer of good things, but rather she was one for whom great things had been done. So we see hope proclaimed by John the Baptist, hope proclaimed by Elizabeth, and, 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 he, and now hope was proclaimed as Mary sings this song, declaring the greatness of God. Mary has a lot to sing about, doesn't she? She's going to give birth to the Messiah, the long-awaited king. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And this song is called Mary's Magnificat. It's after the Latin word for magnify or glorify. It means to exalt, to make large, to, to honor someone, to declare someone's greatness, to make someone great in the eyes of others. Now 
Think about many songs, they usually start kind of softly, don't they? I think all the songs we, even the songs we sing here and the songs that we like to, to play on the radio and whatnot, they start softly and then crescendo towards the end. But, but Mary doesn't do that. Just right out of the gate, she busts out a song of praise, magnifying the Lord. And we sing a Shane and Shane rendition of Psalm 34, O taste and see, right? O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This song that she writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, this song that she sings is very God-focused. God is mentioned 19 times in this song. It's like the Bible is as a whole. It's about the Lord. It's God-centered. And it's both a song of present joy, but also a prophecy of future days. See, Mary is most likely illiterate. But that doesn't mean she's ignorant. She knows the Old Testament. She alludes to it throughout this song over and over again. In fact, if you look at Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in the first 10 verses, especially the first five verses, those verses are really parallel passages of verses 46 and 53 of this chapter. You can go back, small group leaders, you can go back and look at that. But what I'm going to do real quickly as we walk through this is just is just notice the attributes of God in this song. The things that Mary points out. Firstly, look at verse 47. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, God is the Savior, isn't He? And we all need saving, including Mary. Psalm 25, 5, maybe she's alluding to this text. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You're the God of my salvation. You're the source of salvation. You're the one who saves. Mary needed a Savior, and she was going to give birth to this Savior. God has been saying, he's been hinting along all through the Old Testament, that a Savior would be born but now Mary is carrying this child who would die for the sins of the world God is also kind look at verse 48 for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant for behold for now on all generations will call me blessed God looked upon lowly Mary he was mindful of her and In his kindness, he gave her this privileged position. Mary's rejoicing in the Lord. She had much to glory in. She had much to praise God for. Despite Mary's nobody from nowhere status, all the generations from now on will call her blessed. Isn't it neat? God didn't need her, but he chose to use her. That's true of us too, isn't it? He doesn't need us, but he chooses and he wants to use us. Psalm 138, verse 6, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. See, Mary was seen. She was known by the Lord. God looked upon her humble estate. She was noticed. We all want to be noticed, don't we? Now, maybe we, don't be the, we want to be the center of attention. 
But we want to be acknowledged. We want to be cared for. We, my family, uh, when we were on vacation, we went to a, a ball game. And um, during the timeouts, they would put people on the jumbotron, you know, and everybody's screaming, going crazy, right, with their Tennessee orange on. And, um, after a little bit, a cameraman came up to the section. We're, in the, we're on the second to the last row up under the vol sign. We're the second to last row, very top. And uh, this guy came, comes up there with the camera. And so um, somebody in our family was trying to get in the picture. Most of us, right, were trying not to be videoed, right? I didn't really want to be on the cam. And if it was one of those kissing cam things, I'd love to lay one on Jenny right there in front of 102,000 people. But I were, you know, wasn't really wanting to be on there. And, and, uh, but somebody in the family was, like, trying to get in there. And I'm going to give you a hint. It wasn't Anna Grace who wanted to be on the Jumbotron <laughs> and be seen by all those folks. Um, but anyway, you had to figure that out. You may not want that type of attention, but y'all, we all want to be noticed. We all want to be cared for. We all want to be paid attention to. We want someone to take an interest in us. I mean, think about that. We've got visitors here that are visiting for the first time. And think about if these visitors, they come to our church and nobody pays them attention. Nobody talks to them. Nobody says hello. Nobody asks them their name. That would be pretty terrible, wouldn't it? In fact, that would be disheartening for a person. They probably would, ever, would never come back. God knows our names and he notices us and he's aware of our needs and he's concerned and he pays us attention. That's God's kind to us in that way and he was kind to Mary. Verse 49 and 51, God is mighty and strong. He, he's mighty to save because he's omniscient. What does that mean? That means he can do all that he wants to do. There's nothing or no one who can prevent him from doing what he desires to do. He's mighty. He is strong. Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Psalm 24, verse 8. I love this one. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He is Savior, and He is mighty to save. He is strong, and He also is the one who honors the humble and opposes the proud. We call this the great reversal. Look at verse 51. He scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We see that. That's a theme in Luke. If you read through the, the rest of the gospel, you see that over and over and over again, this great reversal. God opposing the proud and humbling the proud, but giving grace and exalting the, the humble. God is using these faithful women, Elizabeth and Mary, these humble ladies. Humble in the world's eyes, 
They were ordinary at best, but God saw their humility and He's using them, giving them an exalted position to be the mother of John the Baptist, the greatest Old Testament prophet, and, and Mary being the mother of the Savior of the world. I think about him humbling the proud and giving grace to the humble. I, I always think about Nebuchadnezzar. We studied, we finished Daniel this past year, and I always think about Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was so proud, wasn't he? He looked at the kingdom all around him in chapter 4, verse 30 of Daniel, and he says, It's not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Notice the first person pronouns there. In the next chapter, Daniel, he's talking to the king's grandson, who's also full of himself, and he tells Belshazzar what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, reminding him. His, his grandson knew, but he's reminding him in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, but when his heart was lifted up, lifted up meaning proud, right, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was like that of wild donkeys, and he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over him whom it will. And he did that for seven years. Looked like a deer in the field, like a, a cow in the pasture. Lost his ever-living mind until he acknowledged God's place, acknowledge God's goodness, acknowledge God's authority, God humbling the proud. We see that all throughout the scripture. Think about Saul. We're, in Wednesday night, we're going through the New Testament story and chronologically and Saul, this Pharisee who was full of himself, he's on the way to Damascus to arrest some Christians and what did God do? Jesus humbled Saul of Tarsus and gave him a new name. When he humbled himself, what did God do? Gave him a name, Paul. And Paul became a great preacher and missionary and starter of churches, evangelist. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He exalts the lowly, and that's what he did for Mary, and that's what he did for Elizabeth, and that's what he wants to do for us, for you and me. He don't... He can't deal with a, a proud person. All he can do with a proud person is humble them. Have you been humbled by the Lord? Have you ever came to a point where you bowed the knee to, to the Lord and said, I'm not my own. I need you. You come to that place in your life. God is Savior. He's mighty to save. He's strong. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he's also faithful to his word. Look at verse 40, 54 and 55. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He remembers, right, what he's told his people as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is leading up to the first Christmas, and the first Christmas is a fulfillment of a promise God had made several thousand years before. Remember in the first mention of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, 
After Adam and Eve had rebelled against the Lord and sinned, God is cursing the serpent. He says, one day the descendant of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Genesis chapter 12, God promises that through Abraham all the nations will be blessed and through his seed, and that seed is Jesus of Nazareth. He remembered his promise to send a messianic deliverer. And think about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The promise made to Isaiah was about to be fulfilled. For unto us, us meaning Israel, a child is born. Mary was going to give birth to the baby Jesus. The Jesus we read about in Utero is the baby who is going to be born in Bethlehem in a manger. He's the toddler the wise men from the east will bring gifts to. He's the one who at the young age of 12 didn't want to leave the temple because he needed to be about his father's business. Jesus is the one who turned the water to wine at the wedding in Cana. He's the one who calmed the storm when his disciples were scared to death. Jesus is the one who raised the dead son of the widow. He's also the one who healed the paralytic and told him his sins were forgiven. Jesus is the one who was falsely accused by the Jews and was handed over to the Romans. Jesus is the one who allowed them to put him on a cross. Jesus is the one who received the wrath of the Father that should have been poured out on sinners. Jesus is the one who was buried, but on the third day he rose from the grave. This Jesus is the one who will ascend into heaven. He's the one who said he'd return again to gather his church to himself. This is Jesus, and this is the hope we proclaim. How do we apply this text this morning? Just a couple of ways. Number one, talking earlier about being seen and being known and how God is kind to us and that he sees us and he takes notice of us. He knows us and we want to be known. But maybe for some of us, it's maybe you have an aversion to the idea of God knowing you because you're ashamed. See, for some of you, you've done terrible things. You've rebelled against the Lord. Maybe you've been unfaithful to your husband or unfaithful to your wife. Maybe you've lied and you've stolen. Maybe you're sexually immoral. Maybe you're a hypocrite. Maybe you're like Adam and Eve who in the garden after they sinned, they wanted to cover themselves and hide. Maybe you don't like the idea of being known because your sins are still counted against you. And this hope that we talk about being proclaimed, you have no hope. You're guilty and you're at enmity with the Father. If that's you, you're 
you're in good company because everybody in this room is at enmity with the Father at one time or another. We're born at enmity with God. We live our lives in opposition to Him. But maybe you've never yet bowed the knee. You've never acknowledged your sin and you've never trusted the work that Christ did, not only on the earth and on the cross, but the work He did rising from the dead. Maybe you've never been saved, you've never been born again, you've never been forgiven for your sin. Well, I want to encourage you today, just by way of application, to repent. That means you turn away from living for yourselves and the adultery and the hypocrisy and the lying and the selfishness and the, all of those things. You turn from those things and, and you trust Christ. You, you trust that Jesus did die he did suffer your punishment and he did rise on the third day so that you could be made right with God. Won't you repent and trust Christ today? If you're not really sure how to do that or you're kind of confused, maybe, maybe I'm lost. Maybe, uh, maybe that's, yeah, I, I do have an aversion to being known. I want to be clean. I want to be right with God and you don't know how to do that. I'd love to talk to you about that after service today. So the first way of, by way of application is just repent if you've yet to repent. The second application point, Mary is praising God for what he's about to do and for the part she was privileged to play in the, this great plan. Think about what does she have to sing about. She's about to give birth to the Savior. But think about this as well. She's a pregnant, unwed teen from Nazareth, engaged to be married to a poor carpenter. She's in the betrothal period, but guess what? She's going to be showing before too long. And what are people going to say? That's a pretty heavy burden to carry. And she tries to give an explanation. How many people are going to believe her? Yet, yet, she magnifies the Lord. What about you? Maybe you carry a heavy burden. Maybe your circumstances are dire as well. Financial difficulty. Marriage difficulty. Relationship difficulty. Legal trouble. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you still can magnify the Lord. Application point number three. Mary and Elizabeth, they haven't grasped every detail about God's plan. They don't know all how all these events are going to unfold, but they know enough to worship. They know enough to tell others. What about us? We have an opportunity, this, particularly this season, to do the same at Christmas. You have opportunities. It's going to occur when a coworker is going to ask you, what are your plans for the holidays? What do you like most about Christmas? You'll have an opportunity to proclaim the hope we have in Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem. Let's take every opportunity.
this Christmas season to proclaim the hope we have in Christ. I think that's one of the areas we need to grow in as a church. Even though in all our small group meetings, we ask the question, hey, has anybody had an opportunity to share the gospel? And we give, every, we give folks an opportunity to share that. But I think we need to be sharing the gospel more, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That, well, man, all my co-workers and all my little sphere of influences, they're all born again. They're all believers. Well, we probably need to shift our sphere of influence or broaden it a little bit. Lost people need to hear the gospel.